Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. All right, we are on Lesson 12. This is the last lesson of our class, and so we will not be meeting next Wednesday night. Uh, we'll take the summer off and we'll have more equipped classes that begin in the fall again. Uh, in the summer, we have our growth groups on Wednesday nights, so hopefully you can participate in those. This is the second half of our chapter on do to or do I, as it looked like last week. Uh, and so that's what we're thinking about specifically is applying change to everyday life. So if you had your homework or if you did your homework, uh, we'll start with Question number seven from the Make It Real section. And uh, this is about those ovals. Do you remember the ovals? The inner oval being those things that are, that are truly our responsibility that God has told us to do. The outer oval being those things that are maybe things we're concerned about and we might try to control sometimes, but they're not actually our responsibility. We just need to trust the Lord with those things. So question seven was this, where in your ministry to this person or group have you tended to be irresponsible, overly responsible, or confused? And uh, those are those categories you talked about where I'm, you know, trying to let God do everything, even the things that I'm supposed to be doing, or maybe I'm trying to control everything, even the things that only God can control, or maybe I'm just confused and I've got them both backwards. Um, but have you noticed that in your own life over the past week, after talking about that last week? Anybody have anything to share there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Good. My personal example was from our trip to uh, Washington, D.C. Thank you for your prayers, by the way. We had a great pastor's conference and made it back safely. Here I am. Uh, we did bring everybody back, too. We didn't leave anybody out there. So, uh, But when we landed in Washington, D.C., we had a rental car we were supposed to get, and uh, I've rented cars many times, and uh, typically it's a fairly quick process, um, but this particular day, for whatever reason, everybody rented from that specific rental car company, and you know, so there's like crickets at all the other booths, and then like 30 people in line at our rental car company. On top of that, there was only one person working the counter. Uh, and on top of that, they were somewhat meticulous, so they, uh, which also means it took a while to care for each customer. Uh, and so I had the opportunity to be thinking through the ovals while I waited in line and thinking through, you know, what I wanted to do was uh, get upset, you know, do whatever I could to force the line to move faster, you know, sigh loudly, <laughs> glare at the worker, you know, things that you can do to let them know that you're in a hurry and you think they're taking too long. Uh, but then I remember, well, wait a second, it's not my job to control the speed of this line. It's not my job to control how long he's taking or to try to control how other people are reacting in the crowd. My job is to be patient to show others what Christ is like, to be kind and to trust Him with the timing of all this and so on and so forth. So that was a fun little battle in my own world to uh, remember what my oval was, which is to, do, to have the right attitude, to trust the Lord with what was going on and just kind of let 
life happen and uh, try to please the Lord Jesus Christ in that scenario. And uh, I don't know, I'll find out on Judgment Day whether I was successful or not. But uh, at any rate, that was a good adventure. We did. We got the car we were after, and we even wedged everybody into it. So that was, <laughs> yep. Is wedge the right word, Charlie? Is that? I think that's accurate. Yeah, OK. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's when I was thankful to be the driver. So. It was nice and cozy. It was. Cozy. There's a good word. Yeah, cozy. Very good. All right, well, hopefully that's uh, kind of a line of thinking that's helpful to you in your own life in different scenarios. Uh, as we seek to please the Lord in our own lives and minister to others as well. Now, I am going to rush through a fun review of the previous chapters. This is a list of the truths that we have learned. You have this in your books. Uh, you do not have it in the printed notes, but it is a fun way to kind of think back over the things we've learned so far. I'll read them quickly uh, and because, yeah, we'll, move, we'll try to keep moving tonight. Truth number one, above all, we need God and His truth to live as we were created to live. That was back in lesson one. Truth number two, each of us is called by God to be His instrument of change in the lives of others, beginning with our families and the body of Christ. Truth number three, our behavior is rooted in the thoughts and motives of our hearts. People and situations only prompt our hearts to express themselves in words and actions. Truth number four, Christ has called us to be his ambassadors, following his message, methods, and character. Truth number five, being an instrument of change means incarnating or showing the love of Christ by sharing in people's struggles, identifying with their suffering, and extending God's grace as we call them to change. Truth number six, being an instrument of change means seeking to know people by guarding against false assumptions, asking good questions, and interpreting in a way that is distinctly biblical. Truth number seven, being an instrument of change means speaking the truth in love with the gospel as comfort and call. We can help people to see themselves in God's word and lead them to repentance. Truth number eight, being an instrument of change means helping people to do what God calls them to do by clarifying responsibilities, offering loving accountability, and reminding them of their identity in Christ. Okay, so that last truth was we, we introduced in last week's lesson, and we'll kind of finish talking about it tonight. Applying truth with accountability and specifically remembering our identity in Christ. So here are some of our overview concepts as we get into this. If I can get our clicker to work here. Ah, there it is. All right, overview concepts and objectives. First, human beings always live out of some sense of identity. It is vital for believers to understand their identity in Christ. As we seek to make change, this is kind of the bedrock, reminds us who we are. And a lot of times where we've drifted is we've begun living in our old self, our old nature, and that foundation needs to shift. He's given me a new heart. Uh, I have his spirit. I've, I've been changed and I can live based on that, on that bedrock. So our identity is really crucial. Then we ask ourselves, do I view my life and myself from the vantage point of who I am in Christ? Uh, and so we'll think through that tonight. What does it look like to view my world from that perspective? And then related to others, do I seek to provide encouragement and accountability to those who are following God's call to change. 
So in this lesson, we're going to see that encouragement and accountability are very important parts of the truth application process. Encouragement, number one, is where we remind them of their identity in Christ. This is their foundation. This is where they have hope. This is where they have confidence. This is where they have power in the gospel, or as we've talked about earlier, the comfort of the gospel that Christ died for my sins. He's forgiven me. And so there's hope for me to change. Um, I can be right with God and begin to grow. You remember these four points that we talked about last week. Uh, Numbers one and two, establishing your personal ministry agenda. What's the goal? Do you remember what is the goal for every believer? What are we turning into along the path of life? You know, it's too easy a question, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, right, conformed into his image. And so this becomes our agenda as we help people. How does this make me more like Christ? How am I growing to be like him? Clarifying responsibility. What things do I need to be focusing on? What are my tasks here? And uh, what are things I just need to entrust to God? Instilling identity in Christ. What has he already done in me? And that foundation provides the strength and encouragement and help we need to make some practical changes to life. And then finally, providing accountability. And that's where it is sometimes helpful to just have a friend who keeps us on track with the things that we've committed to do. Uh, In college, right, is, is when you're finally on your own. Mom and dad aren't there to get you out of bed to make sure you're on time for class or whatever. And so you're you know, learning to get up with your alarm and learning to be responsible. And, uh, and so I remember having accountability partner, right? Hey, on your way to class, make sure I'm out of bed. And, uh, you know, and very rarely, but there were times where you had the bang on the doors like, oh, I overslept, you know, I got to go. And so you rush to put everything on. But that accountability is helpful. Keep us on track with our commitments. We covered... Numbers 1 and 2 last week, and so this lesson we'll be covering uh, items 3 and 4, thinking in more detail about those. So, first of all, instilling identity in Christ. As we talk about this one, let's go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And I'm actually going to begin reading in verse 2, uh, because the flow of thought begins there. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So a few things we can notice from this text. First of all, in verse 8, we see that Peter proposes that there will be people who know the Lord and yet are unfruitful. He says that there in verse 8. If you add these things, if you grow in these things, then you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's possible to know Jesus, but not be putting on these virtues of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be unfruitful. Now we know that God promises to finish the work He began in us, but that process in this life can make very little progress sometimes. And then God doesn't complete it until we're with Him and like Him forevermore. So we want to do as much as we can. That's our eternal work accomplished here in this life, is to grow in our virtue, to grow to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it is possible to be unfruitful in that. But not only that, Peter says these people do not produce the expected fruit of faith because they are missing essential character qualities. And you have that list there in verses 5 through 7. Various character qualities reflecting knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are His character traits uh, that we are to take on and are developed in us as we know more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter actually says they have missed out on these character qualities because they have forgotten who they are. Notice verse 9. We paused before reading uh, verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So there's this term blindness that comes in there. Sin is blinding. And uh, we can sometimes not even realize that I'm not bearing fruit in my life. I'm not growing the way I should. I've become blind to the change that God has worked in me in Christ. I have forgotten that I was cleansed from my old sins, that I should be living a new life. And that can be a blindness to sin itself. We're living in sin, but just think we're actually doing okay um, and need our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us to see, nope, actually that's not right. That's not what Jesus is like. The other thing that can happen is we grow blind to the new life, blind to the way we should be living instead. We don't know Christ and His virtues well enough. We've uh, forgotten how bad our sin was and lost sight of how kind the Lord Jesus was to save us from our sins. Not only that, but Peter reminds us that uh, one significant aspect of our identity, that in Christ we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. So, skipping back to verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And I want you to notice specifically the end of verse 3. Who called us by glory and virtue. What was it that drew us to faith in Jesus Christ? What was it that converted us? Now, from our perspective, we we trust in Christ as Savior. But here at the end of verse 3, what is it that God used to call us to salvation? Well, it's glory and virtue. What are glory and virtue? Glory is, uh, we think of it as light sometimes. We think of it as something 
beautiful or shining or sometimes weighty is a term that we'll use, but it's, I think, the, the collective perfection of God's character, just the, the beauty, the, the radiance of who He is. So God actually used His glorious perfection to call us to salvation. Also, His virtue. So interesting that that's positioned there right before listing all these virtues. It was the, the pure goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it drew us to salvation. And then we're given the opportunity to reflect those things, to show the world what Jesus is like. The very same glory and virtue that called us to salvation, we get to reflect those things and maybe be used by God to draw others to salvation in Christ. As Romans 2, 4 says, it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance, right? So really some cool ideas here in this text. The more we know of Christ, the more we reflect His virtues, and God uses us to show the world what Jesus is like. But again, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we need. That's amazing. Just to pause and meditate on that a little bit. All we need for life and godliness in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, Peter tells us the purpose of this great provision, that we would be participants in His divine nature. Verse 4, "...by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature." Right, Putting on Christ, that day by day, from glory to glory, we're transformed into His image by the Spirit of God, reflecting God's glory and virtue in, in our lives on earth partaking of His divine nature. That's who we are. That's who He's made us to be in salvation. Uh, and so really in the Christian life, when we struggle with sin, there's, there's no, woe is me, I'm so weak, I can't do it, I don't have enough. No, we come back to these truths that say, wait a second, He's made me new in Christ. And in the knowledge of my Savior, Jesus Christ, His glory and His virtue, I have everything I need for life and godliness. I can say no to sin, I can make the changes I need to with His help. I can do what is right by His power. We have all that we need to live the Christian life. That's cool. We're not trying to say it's just like, it's easy. But we have everything we need. And that's why that foundation of identity is so crucial. Uh, we come back to these truths and promises to help us in our time of need. That it's, you know, we're not the losers here. Uh, Christ has given us so much uh, through the gospel and then, finally, Peter tells us what will happen when we start living out our identity in Christ. It will change the way we live. Now, sure, verse 5 points out that we need to give diligence to this. We need to work at this. Okay, so there's back to those ovals, right? There's one hand in which the larger oval, things we trust God with, that at the right time and in the right ways, He'll show me where I need to grow. He'll show me what vices I need to put off and what virtues I need to add. He'll help me see those things and He'll give me strength. I trust Him with all that. But at the same time, my smaller oval, I do have the responsibility to give diligence to putting off the old man and putting on the new man created in true righteousness and holiness according to my Savior. To add these virtues to my faith. And so it's just a great Christian life question 
Um, what is God seeking to do in my life? And how am I working to put on, put off, excuse me, the old nature? And what virtues of Christ am I intentionally seeking to put on? And how am I doing that? You could argue that as believers, we should always be able to answer that question. That I should know right now what it is, what vices, what sin, parts of my sin nature is the Lord helping me to put off? What virtues am I intentionally, diligently putting on? And who's holding me accountable to do that? Right? And part of the way we do that is just that process of repentance where, you know, most of the time our spouses should be aware of what things we're repenting of because hopefully we've come to her, in my case, and said, you know what? That's not what Jesus was like. You just saw sinful anger, self-righteous anger. That's not what Jesus is like. And I want to put that off. And the Lord's helping me to do it. And would you forgive me? And would you help hold me accountable as I seek to replace that anger with compassion and patience that I see in my Savior? Right? This, this kind of thing ought to be happening all the time. Uh, with very practical ideas of how we're going to do it diligently, as he says in verse 5. Fun stuff to think about. And it's all rooted in our identity in Christ. We've been given all things we need for life and godliness. All right. So uh, as far as identity goes, there are so many other passages we could go to. Much of the New Testament is devoted to telling us what God has done. Like, it's done. It's finished. He did it for us. You know, you, you could read through Ephesians chapter 1 and the incredible descriptions of our salvation there and our adoption and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Any number of truths you could pull from that text. Or you go to Romans chapter 6 and that when we were slaves to sin, we've been freed through the death and resurrection of Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin and we're alive to God. Um, you go to any number of other passages. 2 Corinthians 5, we're a new creation now in Christ. Uh, wonderful truths about our identity. Okay, let's talk now about number four, providing accountability. And here's where we get more practical. So I think the ideas are there, who we are in Christ and how that plays out into life. But how do we practically get specific about accountability? First, we remember that accountability is helping to restore a person to where God wants them to be. And in that process, we want to be ready to help bear their burdens. So how can I help this person take the practical steps that they need to take? Listen to Roman, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as we seek to restore each other into right living, how can we help? How can we provide that accountability? And there there really is no such thing as accountability that doesn't involve some kind of sacrifice. Um, You know, even if it's just the time it takes to make a phone call and check in and see how they're doing or... You know, a text message to say, I'm praying for you. It it takes work to provide accountability. But that's biblical. That's Christ-like love, bearing one another's burdens. Secondly, we're told that we should encourage one another daily. That comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. 
But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This encouragement even involves helping each other to see our sin. And then it's actually got that sense of daily to it. Is this part of our regular conversation with one another? How we're battling sin, right? The New Testament's pretty clear that one way to look at the Christian life, this side of heaven, is as a war. And so we have our fellow soldier mates around us to help us battle sin. You don't go into a war complacently, you know, just kind of like, well, okay, we'll see how it goes, you know. No, I mean, you're helping each other out and aware of the needs and the urgency and the fights. And so there's a sense in the Christian life which daily we ought to be helping one another. How are you battling sin today? How can I pray for you? Um, Even a question like, where are you battling temptation today? is a great question to ask. Um, Because as a believer in this life, we're going to face temptation, right? I mean, that's just a reality. We tend to be embarrassed about things like that. Oh, it means that I was tempted, right? Well, I wouldn't be tempted by anything, Of course I'm going to be tempted by things. The question is, how am I fighting it? And how can we encourage each other in that and strengthen one another in that? And that's part of just the daily accountability of being brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be normal kinds of things that we talk about as believers battling sin. So let's think about some things that accountability is not. I think there are... uh, Oh, no, I didn't put those up there. You have those in your notes, sorry. Five things accountability is not. It's not about being a private detective. It's not about trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about being someone's conscience. Uh, It's not about forcing someone to obey. I've tried that one before. It doesn't work. It's not about about chasing someone who is running or looking for someone who is hiding. That last one is interesting and helpful. Um, When we talk about accountability, we're talking about someone who wants to do the right thing. And we're just helping them along. Uh, It's not talking about just running after somebody who doesn't want to do the right thing. Now, there's a place for that to an extent, right? The the Lord's given us the process of church discipline to help chase down the lost sheep and beg them to come back to Christ. And that if that doesn't work, two or three go. And if that doesn't work, the church calls them to repent, right? So we have a process for that. Accountability, however, we're talking about those who have decided to follow Jesus and, uh, and we're there to help bear the burden of fighting sin and doing what's right. So I think that's helpful when it comes to accountability. So here's some things we provide in accountability. First of all, loving structure, uh, helping them think through the details. All right, so um, let's say that uh, a person is trying to uh, change the way they eat, right? They, they, they've been eating just freely, not thinking about what would be pleasing to the Lord um, to the point of lack of self-control. And so they're trying to make some changes there and they share this with you. And uh, so you, you begin talking to them, you're asking questions, you're thinking it through and they say, you know, a, a real time of struggle for me is in the evening, right before I go to bed, I just crave sugar and I'm used to having a bowl of cereal. Not that I know anybody who who would do that, but 
you know, whatever. They, this person really likes to eat cereal at night right before they go to bed. Okay, it's me. I'm, I'm the one. Um, it's just so good, right? Anyway, so they share this with you. That's where they're really tempted, that snack time at night before they go to bed. And so you're like, oh, okay, well, that's helpful to know. Let's provide some accountability, okay? So uh, let's set up a little rule. After 8 o'clock, you know, the fridge and the pantry just stay closed. You don't even open the doors. They just stay closed. And uh, if you find yourself, you know, reaching for one of them, shoot me a text message and uh, just let me know, ah, I almost opened the fridge. Uh, Pray for me, you know. Okay, yep, no problem. And uh, we'll, we'll try that this week, okay? And that just to resist that temptation at that time of day, right? So structure, we're getting specific. How am I going to battle the temptations in different places, different times, and as they come up, things like that. Number two, providing guidance. Often there are questions, and a person struggling with sin, uh, there's, there's still maybe some what I would call like residual blindness that can be there. Um, where they might ask questions like, well, do you think I should keep buying cereal? And, you know, as somebody's holding the accountable, you're kind of going, based on your temptation, I see no reason to buy cereal. You know, and to you, it's just like this really obvious, like, that would actually be really helpful for you to not eat cereal. You know, but the person's genuinely like, yeah, I'm really wrestling with it. I, should, I, should I buy it or not? You know, and you can give a lot of clarity in those times as an accountability partner that isn't, involved in the temptation and can kind of from a third-party perspective say, well, I'm going to help you out here. It's pretty obvious. Just don't buy cereal. It's going to save you a bunch of trouble, right? Um, so, so guidance in those times is helpful. Providing assistance. There are times when uh, they may not be able to make the needed changes alone. So here's an example. Uh, maybe the person knows they need to confess sin to a, a co-worker or a spouse and Every time it comes up, every time there's an opportunity, they just, just fear takes over and they don't say anything. Uh, and so maybe they say to you, hey, would you come with me and just help me make sure that I, I do this? Um, come with me and help me just get the words out to confess this to this person. So yeah, yeah, sure, I'll come with you. Let's do it together. Uh, and providing that kind of assistance can be really helpful. Providing encouragement. Uh, change can be difficult, and it's often a path that involves a lot of failure, right? Uh, I tried to not eat cereal last night, but I ate it anyway. So, and then what, what do we do next? It's like, ah, I give up, <laughs> right? Uh, what's the point in trying? I gave it my best shot, and I failed, so might as well just eat cereal every night. Well, no, that's not really true, is it? It's worth it to keep trying. And that's where the encouragement of a friend can come in and say, hey, you know, of course, of course it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a struggle. Let's keep trying. Let's keep at it. Uh, and so in accountability, we often have the chance to provide that encouragement. Finally, a warning. A warning. We're on the path of repentance, but as the cost gets higher, we realize that this is maybe going to be more difficult than I expected, or there's a step in the process that scares me, we might turn back to the sin, or at least be tempted to. And the warning of a friend who cares can be really helpful in those moments. Don't go back to it. You remember the cost. Remember where you were when you were in this sin. Don't go back to it. I guarantee the cost of following Christ is far less than the cost of sin.
And uh, there's that place for warning and accountability. And again, to close, this is with the person who is fully committed to the change of the put-on, put-off, put-off, put-on process, God's work in their life. Here are a few questions that can be helpful to ask in accountability, maybe not directly to the person, but at least uh, as you think through how to help them, what kinds of ongoing help will this person need? And I'm just telling you, if you have worked at putting on the virtues of Christ, battling sin and putting on Christ, uh, you will have far more resources to help this person. Uh, Because you can say to them, you know what, I've tried to stop eating cereal before. (laughs) And here's the things that were helpful to me. And so you can kind of think through, what are they going to be facing as they face this temptation? What kind of help will they need? How often will I need to be in contact with him for change to continue? And again, if you've battled sin yourself, you'll have a good idea of this. Often it's early on when they first decide to make some changes that they'll need more communication, more encouragement. That's when the biggest shift is happening. Think through any new habit you've tried to establish. It's really early on when you're first establishing that new habit that it takes the most accountability and and change and thought and care and all of that. So often early on, it's a little heavier duty on the accountability and that can... Uh, relax a little bit as the person does well. Number three, I get up there, yeah. Are there other resources in the body of Christ that would be helpful during this period of change? How can I connect this person to those resources? So with that last question, I want to comment on just a couple of resources that we have available here. Um, Many, 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 many of the issues in the Christian life can be cared for by your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, And just the regular conversations and discipleship that happens in the local church as we walk with one another and putting off the old man, renewing our minds at the word of God and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, But there are times that it's helpful to call somebody up. And so our pastors are available. Scripture has given us a clear role to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And I can't think of a, of a clearer application of that is that when you are counseling a brother or sister in Christ, and you come to something you're like, hmm, I think I need more input here. I think I need some instruction or help with this to call up a pastor and to say, hey, uh, do you have any counsel for me? Do you have any advice? What direction should we go next? What else could we do? What else could we look at here? Uh, another Uh, option for you. The resources that we have out on our shelves in the foyer are meant to be discipleship resources. We have books on just about every topic of the Christian life you can imagine. If you want to start short, there are those pamphlets on the far bookshelf, kind of on the side of the bookshelf. They're just, most of them are 10 to 15 pages, uh, miniature size, uh, nice quick reads on a variety of topics, issues that we battle uh, in life, in the Christian life. Uh, then on this shelf over here, actually both shelves have these, but a variety of books on, on topics to read together. And so going through a book can be helpful, maybe to read yourself for your own benefit or to read a chapter and discuss with this person. Um, the last thing I'll say is uh, the most important resource is the Word of God. And so as you work with people, as you provide accountability, I probably can't say this strongly enough, 
find some way to help the person get in the scriptures daily, daily. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, which is a passage we've looked at together, we're instructed there to put off the old man. Remember what the middle step is before we put on the new man? Who's got it? Just say it out loud. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yes. And we compare that with other passages of Scripture, you know, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it becomes pretty clear what he's talking about there. The Word needs to change my thinking, it needs to change the way I view the world, it needs to correct me in many ways. And, uh, and then I can put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, even going back to 2 Peter chapter 1, those verses that we read, he says that his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you remember the next phrase? Through the knowledge of him. Where do we find everything we need for life and godliness? In the knowledge of Jesus. Where do we go to know Jesus? It's the Bible. It's the Bible. So if we want to have all the power, all the resources we need to grow and change, I need to have my Bible open. I need to be reading it and taking it in specifically to know the Lord Jesus. Okay? Look for Him. Look for Him. See what He's like. Delight in Him. Delight in Him. Learn what it is to love Jesus. Because a lot of times in sin, as he says in 2 Peter 1, 9, blindness has crept in and we've forgotten that we've been cleansed of the old sins. I've lost sight of how much I've been forgiven and so my love for Christ has dwindled down to nothing because I didn't really, I'm not really thinking about how much I've needed to be forgiven for. But the more I see what Jesus is truly like, the more I shrink down. Oh, I am really sinful. And Christ is amazing. And he gave his life for me. And that's when we begin to grow in godliness. Because in the knowledge of him, I find all things that I need for life and godliness. So just an encouragement to you personally to get in the Word, and then with whoever it is you're helping, get them in the Word. Get them in the Word. Um, I have a few resources out there on the shelf specifically intended to do that. That in battling a specific type of sin, the resource goes to a passage every day. Talking about that specific sin so that the Word can shape somebody. And that is far better even than reading a book and discussing it once a week, uh, it's the Word that reshapes us. So get into the Scriptures and see how God uses that to change you. And if you'd like to talk further about any of those resources, let me know. I'd be happy to tell you more about them. All right, so the big question, reviewing our lesson tonight. Do you help others bear the burden of change by providing biblical accountability and affirming their identity in Christ? Here's who he made you to be. Now let's live that way. Let's grow. Let's change. Let's put on uh, the person of Christ. Reviewing our concepts from this week. Human beings always live out some sense of identity. Every believer needs to understand his union with Christ. And in times of change, each of us needs loving accountability. So thinking about 
ourselves? Do I look at myself and my life from the perspective of who I am in Christ, who he says I am in his word? Does a daily recognition of my identity in Christ shape the way I think, speak, and act? And do I humbly seek and receive accountability as God calls me to change? So am I demonstrating these things? And it says we battle sin that we're better equipped to help others. So thinking about others, do I look for opportunities to remind others of their identity in Christ? Do I look for where and how I can help others bear the load of change? And am I willing to provide loving accountability to others as they apply new insights and commitments to their daily lives? Okay, so just some helpful things to think about there. All right, you've got homework. Uh, but this is, like, this is like the last day of the semester when your teacher says you have homework and it's not ever due any time. So there will be no accountability for this homework. This is like the, the worst way to apply this lesson telling you you have homework and saying there's no accountability for it. So do the homework if you want to. Uh, the make it real section is, of course, the homework. Um, yeah, so there you go. You have that. Thanks for your good attention through the course. Uh, if uh, you never got a book and would still like the opportunity to have one, please let me know. I'd be happy to order one for you. Uh, so you can have that as a resource on your shelf at home. And I'll provide that to you free of charge just to be a blessing. Uh, the church, don't think highly of me there. The, the church will provide that for you. Uh, so you can have that as a resource. Just let me know if you'd like a copy. There is one more copy there that you're welcome to, uh, to take as well. So let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. And we do pray uh, that first and foremost, each of us would walk in fellowship with you, relying on your Holy Spirit, knowing, delighting, and loving the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might have all we need to grow in godliness, to put on the image of Christ. And as we do that, uh, may we be ambassadors for him, displaying his glory and virtue in our daily lives in such a way that we draw others to faith in Christ and to maturity in Christ. We want to be that kind of people. Help us to be marked by transparency about our sin, a commitment to help each other fight and battle sin, and a devotion to Christ that helps us to work with diligence to put on his virtues. We pray for your help with confidence in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.